Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Clone Star Podcast. I'm your host, Show Hurley. I am your other host, Sean Ferrick. And hold on, who the hell are you? <laughs> you see, I was debating leading in with something like that. And then I re- realized in potential release order, we could have actually done the TNG retrospective before <laughs> this. So um, whoever's listening to this, this is completely being recorded. And we have no idea when it's going to broadcast or what's going to be put on before it. So unfortunately, that's the way it is. Uh, there is usually a TNG retrospective. You've either A, heard it, or B, you've no idea that it's about to arrive and it'll be here next week or the following <laughs> week or something like that. Spoilers, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. So, Sean, after discussing the absolutely fabulous, wonderful The Next Generation, which stumbled out of the blocks in the first season, became an absolute juggernaut, and then slightly kind of stumbled over the finish line in season seven, we move on to The Next Generation movies. Generations 94, First Contact 96, Insurrection 1998, and Nemesis 2002. I thought Nemesis was all one. But obviously IMDb says I'm wrong. I I don't know why. I I remember it was 02, but I think maybe it was the other, because that was the year of the two towers. That's one of the reasons that went against it, is that it went up against, it was the last Christmas release film because it went up against two towers, the Chamber of Secrets. And I have a feeling it was Attack of the Clones that year as well. Like it was a bit, not, not, I was going to say it was a big year for, as in big films came out that year. That doesn't mean it was a big year for film, but Big year, big years came out that film show. Big years came out that film. Let's just think, let, let's just blame all those other films for Nemesis misperforming at the uh, that's <laughs> that is that is 100% the thing. I'm sure Laverne Burton probably feels the same way. I've watched these back over the last two weeks. I'm actually surprised to say that, like, I haven't, like, outside of generations, which I can still recite from memory, um, I haven't watched First Contact in years, I haven't watched insurrection years and lord god i have no recollection of when i watched last <laughs> time it's, it's like and it was a slog to get through it it was not an easy watch at all like we'll obviously be you know doing a massive wrap up at the end of the podcast and all that but an immediate reaction what do you think of the forum um flawed with a good heart yeah how it like as a general as a general, flaw with a good heart. I have, I do have things that I legitimately love yes. in each of the films. Mm. I do not love each of the films. Yeah. Uh, I they're slightly more um, re- uh, recent in. I was going to say relevant. No, they're all bloody relevant to this episode. They're slightly more recent in my memory because I've watched Generations, First Contact, and Insurrection within the last couple of months. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And but yes, Nemesis. I haven't rewatched now in a good while. I, I have, however, watched scenes from Nemesis um, because it has good kind of standout scenes. Yeah, flawed with a good heart is my the, overall. I think missed opportunity is what I'd kind of say about it. Just really weird when actually watching them. Like two things always jump out at me. Obviously, number one, Data was promoted to second banana in all the movies. Yep. And two, in all the climactic scenes, Picard and Riker are separated in all four movies. And like when we recorded about the original series movies, the original idea was basically actually to talk about all 13 movies and rank them. And then we just happened to say, no, we're going to talk about the first six. If I was to rank the top five, none of the Next Generation films would get into the list. I was just there going, I can't actually 
see a way in which it's done. Do you know what really kind of surprised me, right? Is that when you talk about the first six movies, it's all this thing of, oh, Kirk is an action hero and all this kind of thing, right? When you actually break it down in the movies, he actually isn't, right? Yeah, he isn't. In the, mo- in the motion picture, doesn't fire a phaser, doesn't punch anybody. In the Wrath of Khan, right? Again, outside of the Enterprise firing, like in Kirk, you know, lays, you know phasers the seti eel that's fallen out of Chekhov's ear. In the search for Spock, he you know shoots the Klingon, fair enough. In the Voyage Home, nothing. In Star Trek V, with the exception of fighting the cat lady at the in Nimbus Tree, nothing. Well, well, three, he has to punch up with Krug. Sorry, well, yes, my apologies. Yeah. yeah, sorry, you left that part out. And then in the Undiscovered Country, he is um in the Undiscovered Country he has a fight with the alien felon Repente. That was not his knee. Not everyone keeps their genitals in the same place, Captain. But but you see what I mean? Like, yeah, there were Kirk it's... was not any of that, but these movies he... tried to make Picard into an action hero, and they're going, he's not an action hero. What the hell is this about? They yeah, you're no, you're dead right. And there is a tonal shift. The one thing I will just dis- if I if I pick in the top five, mm. first contact probably would go in there. I will say that. But I do like I I, I you I completely take your point. You are right in how they turn Patrick Stewart from you know, everyone gives say Picard a uh, bit of guff season one because it's such a tonal change from TNG yeah. it's such you know it's oh my god what's this you know episode one Picard gets blown across a square which was as ridiculous in episode one as it is today that's don't do that but in generations Picard is having a punch up with Dr. Tolly and Saren you know and <laughs> it's just like what um, <laughs> and then I well, well we'll we'll discuss it all in detail yes in each of them you have this kind of way. In fact, probably the least amount. Okay, no, the least amount is in Nemesis, but there's still a bit of it. A lot of it. I mean, I mean individually, because it's yeah. a, a kind of felt they realized they realized in 2002 that Patrick Stewart was no spring chicken. No. 2018. There was there was a point that I couldn't remember, and then I said, "Oh, that's back in my head." And then you made your point, and now I've completely forgotten the point I was trying to. Oh yes, if I remember, it was either the very first Star Trek: The Next Generation DVD set I bought, or it was the first one that was released. But it was the Captain Picard collection. I still have it downstairs. Oh yes, remember, was, I remember we were talking about this before. Yeah, yeah, and when I remember, I picked up the box, and it was pictures of Picard. But one of the pictures was from. Oh, bloody hell. The episode from season seven where he thinks he meets his son is... What's that one called? Bloodlines. I thought that was... I thought that was... Oh, yeah. Bloodlines with Jason Vigo. That's right. And, like, the pictures of Picard firing a phaser. And I was kind of there going, that's right, lads. Pick out one of the biggest diplomats, you know, person who gives a wonderful speech and put a picture of him firing a goddamn phaser on the front of the box. And they're going, do you even know who the character is? And, like, you know, in the movies, there are obviously the wonderful, you know, Picard lines and all that, but... The one thing I really kind of that I was thinking about when I was watching them was um, the late 90s was desperate for action pictures. They were everywhere. Like it was 10 a penny yes. at that point. But what was also really awkward, and I really kind of saw this, I was watching back some of the Pierce Brosnan and James Bond films recently, like GoldenEye's great, and then kind of slowly off a cliff very fast. But what it had was just poxy one-liners but the amount of kind of really awkward kind of sexual kind of content with bond and women and you're kind of there going oh god it's like 
I was watching Tomorrow Never Dies recently and I was there going, oh, geez, this is actually, this is actually appalling. And you see a bit of that in these movies as well. And you're kind of there going, geez, the late 90s has aged so badly for a lot of the stuff that kind of goes on. Like we'll get into like the, the line in Nemesis about, you know, do you notice how your boobs are getting more firm? Insurrection. Going, but you're, you're right. Like, sorry, but you're yeah. right, because that is dreadful. It's desperate. Yeah. It is um, no no place in a Star Trek movie. Yes, bloody all like. No, I think uh, ne- Nemesis has its own massive uh, issue oh when it comes yeah. to a, a sexual reality scene. I, however, I think shall we go into them? We can before? nearly not discuss Nemesis. <laughs> uh, do you know what? I think to, to be honest, I've funny enough. I was having a, I was having a few conversations recently um, about Star Trek as a whole and how we must. I mean, it is our job as reviewers, but also just as fans. When we look at Star Trek as a whole, the franchise from day one until now, we know that it is a good franchise and it's done so much good for the world and it has been so progressive. And you and I know, having just recently done a rewatch of the original series, that that massively progressive show for the 1960s had serious problems. Oh, yeah. And it like it. You, I, I, we we said at the time season two of the original series should have been called Star Trek the misogynist years um, I mean season one of the original <laughs> series is actually better than season two for how women are represented even though you you were you know they would stand behind oh well we had Uhura on the bridge and we had you know Christine Chapel and everything it's like yes and then you also had one of the I, I was only using the example today of you had people who presumably went all the way through the academy and they rose through the ranks and then they saw a man with some muscles and they went, well, you can fuck that career off a, off a cliff. Marla <laughs> McGivers, how are you there? Oh, Khan's looking nice, isn't he? You know, things like that. And it ages very, very badly. These films, particularly these four, all have elements that are, if you, taking the rose-tinted glasses off, it doesn't necessarily mean I hate these films. I, I certainly don't hate these films. Yeah. But there is nothing perfect. No, there just no, isn't no. perfect, right? Any medium. Um, but particularly there are these where we can go, listen, this is bad. This yeah. is this is like object or objectively or subjectively bad. It doesn't mean the film is bad or that the film is without merit. Yeah. Because there's a you, you realize I couldn't finish the sentence. It doesn't mean the films, but mm, well, there's there is there is there is films in these four that have merit. Um and and yeah, so that's right. Okay, so I've stepped I, off my soapbox now. So the there. very last thing I'll say before we get into generations is there's just the tone of all four films is all over the place. Wildly di- do you know what? wildly yeah. different. I'd say of the of the four of them, closest would be generations and insurrection. Yes. But, yeah, but even that's hmm. and, and again like this is a point that we'll get back to later but like again you know me I will wax lyrical about the first six um, movies forever they were just you knew they were a continuation of the original series it continued perfectly mainly because you only had the three main characters Kirk, Spock and McCoy and the problem with Faffin. yes the problem with these with the, with, with the next generation films we had an ensemble cast and basically everybody bar Picard and Data were shunted to the back, and that was it. And as and that obviously has a massive knock-on effect because you're kind of there going like, "What we like these characters? Why? Like, why is Doctor Crusher getting four lines in, in in the whole movie? Like, 
Yeah, not that really. Right, we're going to start well, off. Generations, nineteen ninety four. Uh, IMDb rating of six point six, and on Rotten Tomatoes, we have a tomato meter of forty seven percent rotten, and an oh, audience score is it that low? Fifty seven percent rotten. Yeah, I'm quite surprised at these numbers, actually. Yeah, um, I'm actually disappointed to see that now about Generations, but I think we've spoken quite a few times on the pod, kind of throughout that. I, I, Generations, I do have nostalgia for. I mean, it's my first trek in the cinema. Yeah, uh, we've yet we've talked about this before, so I have all of that as well. It's you know my first time seeing the words Star Trek on the big screen. We had the Enterprise D, we had all of that going on. So I to right to be fair to look at it. My first of all, show what is your two line review of Star Trek Generations, and we'll get into the nitty gritty of it. Two two lines, oh sweet Jesus! Uh, if you um, do it in one line, even better. <laughs> Jesus, why, like, why didn't you text me and tell me that I had to do this earlier on? No, John, I'm going to do, Sean. I'm going to turn around to you and let you say it first. <laughs> no, hang on a second. I got it nostalgically flawed. I did it in two. I did it in two words, not two lines. Nostalgically flawed, beautiful. Because it's, as you said, it's full of this nostalgia, but it's a, it's a flawed movie. So I'm going to go with that. I'm, my God, I'm, I'm on the ball here. Now, what's your two-word review? You're um, cutting out. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. It ran, out of, it ran out of steam before it left the station. All of the right ingredients are there. Yeah. But the actual execution of it, uh, it doesn't really come together as much as it should because it's trying to be too many things. It's trying to be the last original series film, which it isn't, six mm. is. It's trying to launch the next gen franchise which all good things did better than this did um and that's going to be up i'm going to mention that a few times of course all good things and generations and it's trying to turn picard into an action hero which doesn't work um and then it's also trying to turn data into this comedy character that's one thing where like one thing and i'd say you will know this yourself across all four films the comedy is by and large terrible like it does, it's falls flat nearly ever. There's the odd bit of you know good humor, but by and large, you're going, Jesus, this is really poor. Again, I was said ages very poor, poorly and things like that. I think as well, Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Bragg have said that like they wrote all good things and first contact, or sorry, generations at basically the same time. And they said that you know, all good things come out the superior effort. But what they said was with generations, they were trying to write about things like life experience all this kind of thing and they said you know looking back they said we were just too young to be able to write about topics as kind of involved as that and like you know yourself that these lads were only like in their late 20s early 30s I'm not going to bother you know checking out exactly what age you were when they wrote this like if you ask yourself what like again some of our listeners may maybe younger than this even but like i'm 39 like and like i look back and say even seven years ago i was going don't have, I, I don't have any life experience that I have now. So like, well, actually, as a as a child compared to you, I can say that I don't have that kind of uh, <laughs> get lost, that kind get of out life of experience. Get I mean, I am just 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 a little baby. <laughs> no, just a little baby <laughs> is what I am. Lies, um, because like what you said, right? Like I I saw Star Trek Six in the cinema in ninety one. Now I don't remember because I didn't really appreciate it, but like this i was looking forward to this so bloody much when it came out because you said like it was everybody in, in ireland like star trek next generation was absolutely massive 
everybody wants to see it. I remember going opening day and like in the cinema in Limerick, like the queue was out to the entrance, up the road, around the corner. Like this was long four days, like they put on more than one screen. And I remember at just after the death of Kirk, this projector cut out for 20 minutes. And um, oh my god. But like even then, I remember leaving it going, something right about that. And I was there going, I enjoyed it, but there's still and again, you will see it in the first two. Picard is just this odd character. He's not the normal Picard that we're used to. In this movie, he's very depressed. Now, in fairness, I like the kind of, I love the scene where he's told of Robert and René's death. Mm. I think it's brilliant on the boat. I love the music that goes along with it. I also and love they, hearing that Robert and René are dead. <laughs> not Robert. Robert was great. I love the fact that in 2371, a house fire means anything, you know, as opposed to computer. <laughs> you know you know extinguish fire okay great fine way you know like what like when i watched it back like i like i really enjoyed watching it back i really did like i can i take all the criticism of it all day long i really do but when i watched it as they're going to try i said i really actually enjoyed it. as you said like it was the closest approximation to the next gen but i i think some of it has to do with the fact that the uniforms were the same we were still looking yeah. at the same bridge and things like that like again this is the first movie now where we see picard and Riker getting separated at the climactic scene i do like the fact that when picard comes up against sarn the first time sarn just kicks his ass and i'm kind of there going i enjoyed that fact because he's not a fighter i like the fact that he just gets beaten around the place which is great crack and then when Kirk fights him, it's cool. I love the battle with the Klingons. I think that's really well done. And I love that. I love the, you know, Riker fire line. Oh, I do love that. that. No, I do love that. And also, yeah, what is it? You know, as their shields begin to drop, we'll have one chance to make this right. Fire. Go and make a coffee. Come back. And the torpedo hits. I do love it. Don't get me wrong. I do love it. And it's, oh, it's the most over the top. I mean, no one has ever. No, actually, sorry. That, that speaker word of a lie. I was going to say no one has ever said fire with that much intensity. James Kirk did in the previous film. He leans out of his chair and goes, fire. You know, and Riker's just like, Haha, my dick is bigger. Fire. I I think, yeah, like, it, it, it's cool. I love the, the whole build-up. is like the Klingons think they have it won, and, you know, the battered Enterprise just fires off the torpedo. It's, I, I, I love all that scene from the start of the battle until the saucer section of the Enterprise crashes onto the planet. I actually really enjoy all that. I love the evacuation of the ship. Mm. I love all those things. I think as well, as we discussed before, the uniform situation that they only made the DS9 uniforms for Brent Spiner and Patrick Stewart and then Colomini's uniform was used for Geordi which you can see when Geordi walks into engineering for the first time after he's been on prison on the Klingon ship you look at his the the sleeves they're actually too long and then uh, Commander Riker's is Benjamin Sisko's one that's why the sleeves are rolled up which I actually think makes him actually look even cooler that the sleeves are rolled up yeah I like it and he has the grey underneath I think that's actually really cool um there's um it's but it's just it's it's weird because the original six films it's much more it, everything's happening so fast and it's constant we have to move 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 we have to do this we have to do that we do the other thing and it moves along at breakneck speed and in this it's different like it's an investigation it's a slow kind of build up like even the scene in stellar cartography like again i love the fact that yeah i love when they cop onto soren's plan the music kind of comes in that gets kind of you're going you know now we finally moved on with the plot but it's just, it takes so long, like all the exposition, like the chat with Guinan in her quarters and all those, it just takes a long time for stuff to happen. Um, yes. Yes. Like, 
I, how do you feel? I suppose this is the million dollar question. How do you feel they handled Kirk? Was he needed? No. Oh, God, no. There yeah, was absolutely I, no need for the man at all in the movie. <laughs> like, I, w- I would say, I wouldn't lose the cabin scene for anything. They didn't need Kirk in this film. No, they didn't. The one thing I will say, though, he does come across as our hero at the start of the movie. I think he's, I, I think he's brilliant at the start of the film with Harry Man. The way he doesn't, you know, he waits to be asked to give a hand and the way he just, he just knows what to do. Mm. I think that's brilliant. But like, no, there was like, you didn't need James C. Kirk in this film at all. Like, it didn't, like if they had left it uh, and it was, they didn't need to, like, because they say they brought him there to kill him. Yes. Right. But you didn't need to because Six had signed everything off. So not, like literally yeah. uh, signed everything off. It was quite, it was the perfect ending for the original series crew. The only reason they were back, you know, again, I love the Enterprise B. I love seeing the Enterprise B. But, I mean, it's a bit, do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? It's, it's the horror movie sequel. You have your hero in movie one. What do you do? You kill him off in the opening scene of movie two. And basically, that's what they do. And, 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 right, I'm, I'm on a rant now because <laughs> this was co-written by Ronald D. Moore. Yes. And Relics was yeah. written by Ronald D. Moore. Yes. Someone should have changed a couple of lines. <laughs> because if you're going to have Scotty present at the supposed death of James Kirk. I mean, Ronald, you wrote both scripts. Hang on, there's one thing that I've always been confused by, and being honest, I just haven't bothered to do research. Ah, oh, that's fair. In this movie, right, Kirk is in the Nexus because he was on the Enterprise B that gets bought up by the Nexus and he's you know brought into the in into the Nexus, right? In the scene in stellar cartography, data says any ship that's approached the ribbon has either been destroyed or severely damaged. And mm. Picard says he can't get to the ribbon, so he's trying to make the ribbon come to him. So I'm there going, if you're on a ship like the transport ship Lacool at the start of it that gets destroyed, or maybe the other one's destroyed, I don't know. Um, but like, are all those people dead or are they in the Nexus? And if you're on it, just say, for instance, you're in a small one-man ship and you go to the Nexus and you get thrown around the place. If you just you know, open up the back of the shot and jump out, are you now in the Nexus like Kirk did? That is, so, yeah, that's how I understand it. So... So What's why problem? didn't you just get a shuttle and just, or just basically just get a spacesuit? Like he knows where the Nexus is going to be. You just get a spacesuit and just basically wait for it and go, dum, dum. oh, look, here it is. I'm in. That's great. Thanks. I don't need to kill 230 million people. I sent you a message during the week about this. And I said, why didn't Sauron just go to the, the Shore Leaf planet from the original series episode Shore Leaf? You just magic up a house. His family's there. Job done. Like, like that's no difference being in the Nexus. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's enough stuff out in the galaxy that he could probably just find a way to replicate his family. Absolutely. Um, the problem is there's no there, it, there there's no explaining that away. That is a whopper of a like, uh, lads. Like, do, do you know what this is? This is this isn't as niche as Michael Pillar's son or Rick Berman's son. Sorry, noticing that the future uh, beam going into the Devron system is actually from the USS Pasteur, not the USS Enterprise D. <laughs> I mean, that is, yes, that's a plot hole, but that's at least like it's not glaringly obvious. This one is they take, they stop, look at the audience and go, 
well, he that's why he's being a megalomaniac killer person. It's like, yeah, but but Guinan and Kirk and everyone, but, what? But that's the other thing. Like, if Guinan's in the Nexus, that means Soren is already in the Nexus as well. Yep. So would that mean then, like, if Soren goes into the Nexus, is there two of them there? Does he go, Wait a second, I know you. <laughs> I recognize you. What do you do with my family? The problem is yes. That is the answer to that. Like, I think we discussed this a million times, right? There's certain movies you can watch that have enough set pieces that you'll watch them and you will enjoy them. Mm. And you'll just kind of fast forward these the next parts, right? The you know, the Enterprise B scene to start, great crack, right? Yeah. Car getting the message. Or sorry, but, but like I'll go through that very quickly, right? Um, Kirk meeting Demora Sulu. I love it. The music is great. I love the kind of sense of time passing and feeling old. I love that. The whole thing with the Enterprise, um, uh, the Enterprise B uh, in the Nexus, that's cool. Picard getting the message about his family, that's also cool. The um, scene where uh, Data and Geordi talk about the emotion ship, uh, Riker going over to get Geordi and Data back off the off the, off the space station. Scene in stellar cartography, the battle all the way to the Enterprise crashing. Scenes with Kirk in the house and the horse. Final battle, movie's done. That's it. You can cut out most of it because it's just not interesting. And it, it also, it's not awful at some of the filler bits because you have still the writers coming over from TNG. But yeah. there is still, uh, I don't know if they were putting more effort into well actually well we know what it was they were burnt out from all good things that's that that is what it is and that is probably the biggest problem with generations is that you have all these massive things you're trying to do with writers who have just delivered in my opinion the greatest finale that star trek has done yeah and they're like hey go and deliver a blockbuster film (laughs) can i have a sleep first please like as we said as well, what like when we went to see it in the cinema, you were kind of there going like we were used to the TV show Enterprise, and you're going, what's it going to look like in the big screen? For me, it delivered. It looks cool. I love you know Worf having a chair, obviously for the way they were yeah. filming it and things like that. I just I loved how it looked. I just think it looked absolutely like I think it it took the step up that it needed to take, and it looked yeah. incredibly cinematic. It's just. It just plods along too much. Like this now for me, I'd watch this a million times over. I no problem doing it because I, I enjoy it that much. But I totally get anybody who'd say it's not that good. I can like 6.6 and kind of there going, that's fair enough. I kind of wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, that's, Joe, I'm, I'm with you on the IMDb one. For me, under 50 seems harsh on Rotten Tomatoes, but maybe I'll agree with the audience score there. Um, so it's according to his critics' consensus, Generation stands as a mediocre changing of the guard for the crews of the Enterprise with a dull plot that sometimes seems like an expanded episode of the television series. It Jesus, does. Lad, this could have us, been a two-parter. Tell, you know what I mean? T- tell it, us what you really think here, lads. <laughs> no, it could. It could have been a two-part episode of season six or season seven. And yeah. I actually don't mean that as a criticism. I think, I think do you know what it is? It's yeah. way better than Birthright. Chuck Birthright out and put this in. God, I cannot stand Birthright. Oh, it's so boring. 
um his bullshit with his dreams sorry and his like you know um and all that and then oh look warp's father is not there and oh look he has a relationship with a woman he will never speak of again and none of this matters however ds9 remastered because of tng but that's it although i did like seeing for sure but hang on a second then right so question life forms yes do, or do, no do, do. yes or um no. well it depends if you buy data as comedy or not um and i don't think i do no I, like, for example but, do, you know, do you know what i hate and always have hated Ew, yep. more oh, God, please yeah. never like that scene no the, the, yeah the whole scene in 10 forward i just no i didn't buy into it. and he got like he's really annoying on the observatory as well like when Saren pulls a gun on him they're going right finally i'm into this he's scared he can shut up like can't i just can't handle it the mr tricorder thing and i i the the payoff that something is wrong nah i mean now i did say that i was like oh i do like generations i have just spent a few minutes dumping on it i want to gush gush over the cabin scene i that is my favorite scene of generations i think it's wonderful for many many reasons i think shatner is excellent in this entire exchange um which is i guess in a way also hurts the next generation part of this film that in this scene shatner acts Patrick Stewart off the screen, which is yep. something I never ever will probably say again. But because it's about aging, it's about facing mortality. It's what Wrath of Khan was entirely about in that respect. And it's, I think it's done very, very well. Picard is a very different Picard in this scene yes. than he has been in so much of the next generation. Here he's, you know, duty bound and, you know, kind of honor and everything. But it's not to say that he wasn't that in TNG, but this is him dialed up to 11. Um, and I, Shatner has to kind of remind him. I think Kirk's line is brilliant. But he's basically there going, like, I don't need to be lectured by you. I was out saving the galaxy. <laughs> and the thing is, when you think of it, like, that for me is the difference between the original movies and this. They did, they were, you know, it was, you constantly got the sense the whole galaxy was going to basically stop if, if, it, if Kirk and the Enterprise didn't save your ass. And you never got that suspicion, that feeling with these movies. That's my own personal view on it. I just think that there was so much more of a kind of, you know, um, a kind of an adventure kind of piece to the original series and the original movies. Now, that's because it suited them. The Next Generation was a much more thoughtful TV series about diplomacy, about the human kind of condition, things like that. And it worked for that. It's just the movies, they didn't have a goddamn clue what to do with the tone. And you see that in this, in Generations. Yeah, you do, because... When we when we move on to first contact, first contact knows what it is, start to finish. Yes. Generations doesn't. Uh, or at least it thinks it's more many different things. Um, and you get then a bit of that again when we get to insurrection. Uh, we get some of the some of the issues that generations uh, faced as well. It, it are come up in insurrection. But insurrection, well, we'll look, we'll, we'll get there. Um just before we leave Generations, then we'll go on to First Contact in a second. Favorite scene from Generations? Cabin. Mm. Yeah. Easy. For uh, you? Jeez, I'm trying to think. Cause it's a f- I, I said to you, I always love the little scene with Kirk and the Mora Sudo at the start, Picard getting the bad news. 
but if I turn on anything, I I I love the whole um the saucer section separating. It is, brilliant. and I think I just I think it's so well done. The music is great. I love the fact that like the bridge looks completely trashed, and it's a real sense of like we're in trouble here. Like I I there was actually a thing that they didn't do for it. Um, it was in the kind of the the art of the movie that they were identifiers are so damaged that when it actually separates and they're trying to do it so fast, it actually ripped the turbo lift shafts up a bit. It oh, actually damaged okay. itself as it was taking off because of the damage done. It, you don't see it obviously because they didn't do it. But I love that that was an idea of it because I just think it's brilliant. I think the whole crash sequence is, is just, it, I still feel it stands up so well to this day, even though oh, there's one shot reused. But otherwise, I think, I love it. I, mm. I, I think the music as well is great. It's a great build up. And the music is so good. They use it for the trailer for First Contact as well. And they use it for the Jem'Hadar attacking the Romulans and the Cardassians. And they use it for the Klingons attacking the Deep Space Nine. Dennis McCarthy, I like you. There's a whiff of James Horner off you. <laughs> um, but uh, but I suppose it's one of those things, well, look, if it ain't broke, okay. you know. Um, yeah, I yeah I agree. Just a quick question. Um, so that thing, I wonder, did they borrow that idea for Star Trek Beyond? Because Star Trek Beyond, don't they? They have at least a scene where the neck is still attached to the uh, saucer section for at least a couple of moments. But like um, there were, like it was, it was always there that the and even the original Enterprise could saucer separate. Yes, I remember. Right, it yeah. took me the Star Trek fact files to figure that out. But yes, uh, <laughs> um, I think they were saying the original, the Constitution class. It was basically the saucer section would become a lifeboat as yeah. opposed to a separate ship, if you like. Yeah. And that's everything for Star Trek Generations. Now, Sean, we're going to move on to 1996's Star Trek First Contact. So quickly having a look at the tomato meter here. Actually, no, we won't. We'll check IMDb first. Cool. My team of Jiggy work. So IMDb is giving us a score of 7.6 out of 10. And with the tomato meter at... Ooh, look at this. An audience score of 89% and a tomato meter of 92%. But a critic's consensus is of while fans of the series will surely appreciate it, First Contact is exciting, engaging, and visually appealing enough to entertain Star Trek novices. I think that, Go on, sorry. I was going to say, I think that is probably as close to the perfect review for First Contact as we'll get. There's enough there for legacy fans and enough there for like, ah, you could, it, it explains itself well enough that if you were a newbie, when I was watching it back, I was kind of like, I haven't watched First Contact in years um, because I think I, when I was a kid, I overwatched it. Yeah. Um, but, but I found out a bit of a complicated relationship with it. I didn't enjoy it as much as I did when I was a kid. I'm just wondering, when you watched it back, did you still feel as good about it as you did back in those days or have your feelings changed or what is it? Um, I See, I'd be in a similar position. I've seen it so many times. I mean, yeah. I can close my eyes and hit play at this mm. point. Um, and I think that does color it a little bit. There's, yeah. I mean, like you get this with any film you watch again, but there's nothing surprising in it anymore. You're kind of, I mean, you're waiting for the scenes. I, it's one of those films where it's almost like precognition, isn't yeah. it? You're kind of like, you're waiting for the next set piece because there is a lot of set pieces in this film. This is, this would never be accused of being a long episode. No, it would not. Absolutely not. It looks, yeah. 
cinematic. It really, really looks like a complete step up from what we saw before. And obviously, there's a massive collapse uh, on the far side with insurrection as well. Um, One thing that I kind of found now, again, this is one of the reasons that I kind of feel slightly out of step with it. And I'm just curious what you think. I'm not mad about the portrayal of Picard in it, just from a point of view of maybe it's just me, but I just kind of feel that, you know, he encountered the Borg after uh, Best of the Worlds and Iborg and again in Descent. But there just seems to be, you know, obviously look, jump into the cinema, big movie, big emotions and things like that. I just didn't feel it was consistent. So I was watching it back. I'm still there going, but wait a second. He wasn't as pissed off in the center. I Borg. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that is, that's kind of how I found it felt. That's how I kind of saw it. I think I Borg touched on it because of his, uh, at the beginning, how he, you know, refuses to see Hugh as an individual. Yeah. Um, Whereas Descent doesn't do that at all. You could argue that while they are Borg in Descent, it's not the Borg. Yes, but yeah. I mean, I would be splitting hairs there, to be honest. Yeah. Um, because I agree with you. I, I think this is, and I have actually done this, this is a direct sequel to Best of Both Worlds. It's, do you know what it feels like? It kind of feels like every time they make a new Terminator movie, the rest of the air going, yeah, this is, this is now the sequel to Terminator 2. We're just forgetting everything in the same way Superman Returns was the you know sequel to Superman 2 where they got rid of 3 and 4. And it feels like that with this. It's like, just forget about Iborg, forget about the scent. Because in Iborg, they have a chance to destroy the Borg with that, with that virus. And Picard's are no, we're not doing it. Meanwhile, in this film, they're going, I'm going to make them pay and all this kind of thing. They're going, slightly inconsistent here. It is. I, I know as well that the initial, at least the setting of the story was inverted. It was Riker on the ship and Picard on the planet. Yeah. It was going to be more, yeah. you know, Picard being the explorer with i totally understand so it was a request from patrick stewart but actually i have to say i do understand it, if you're going to do a borg story it does make more sense to have picard engaging the borg now the depiction of that you're you're totally right like he did go rambo straight away yes um but Riker doesn't have the connection with the borg that picard does now obviously you also have the fact of like jonathan frakes was fairly busy at this point, you know, kind of like, you know, because for every time Picard said anything, you had Riker going or Frakes going, mm, let's do that again. Well, two takes breaks. <laughs> um, I, it gives, it continues what will become a film trend of giving Jean-Luc plenty of range, plenty of, you know, chance to kind of show off what Patrick Stewart can do. Uh, obviously the scene of the observation lounge, but of course across the film, um, with the ongoing exception of Gates McFadden, everyone pretty much gets something to do in this film. And again, continuing the trend of starring Patrick Stewart, Brent Spiner, and the rest. Yep. Um, and again, continuing the tradition of Picard one place, Riker another place for basically you know the you know the, the climactic scenes and all that kind of thing. Mm. And that is something I do hope Picard season three will fix because they, they, they are a team. We do like seeing them together as a team in generations. Yeah. Picard hated him until like the last scene. And then it was like, oh, yes. And then we were having nice chats and everything. It's like you shouted at him a lot. You apologize. Uh, in this, they're just not together. Yeah. Um, and obviously, then we'll discuss insurrection when we get to it. But um, what did you feel about like there's comedy in this film? 
for me, a lot of it, looking back, misfires, especially for me, like the very last scene where you know, he's dancing on, you know, dancing at the bar and the Vulcans are what the hell is going on here. It's kind of there going, it's not really the way to end this movie. I kind of would have been happy if the movie had ended with the Enterprise going through the time warp and being gone kind of thing. But like, like certain parts of the comedy worked when it was subtle, but some of it, like it's kind of like when, say, when Deanna Troy finds him in the bar and she's drunk. It's kind of oh, it's... I loved. I'm oh, so, no. I'm, I'm sorry to disagree with you. No, I love that because for me that gave mm. for the first time since all good things that gave Marina Sirtis something to do. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I can take that point. All right. Yeah, and um, I mean, yes, it's over the top, and because of, I think maybe is is one of the reasons they stick out so much. To you is that they are so different because i think it goes from her passing out on the table to deck 15 yeah kind of the tone changes like absolutely bananas at times in the uh-huh. film just the way the nature of the kind of film is and things like that one thing as well is i just there was a point i remember i'm kind of slightly bringing an insurrection here um someone made a point before kind of saying that in this film, the Enterprise E never feels like a starship, mainly because obviously you chose them going around the decks, and the decks are obviously em- empty and borgified and things like that. And then Insurrection tried to almost overplay how much people were on the ship. Then at that point, it's one thing I found, you know, in mm. first contact, Insurrection and Nemesis, you never really got a sense of feeling that the ship was. Picard describes the ship as home in, to, to to Lily in this movie, but you never get a sense of it. It just it, it kind of feels. It feels odd. It doesn't feel like, look, obviously, can't really compare it to the Enterprise D because we had seven years on the Enterprise D and we're used to it. But with this, it just, I just didn't really kind of get a sense of feeling of the ship, if you know what I mean. That's really, I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, I definitely see that point. I, I, I do think that of the, the three Enterprise E films, this one gives you the scale of the ship because of the deflector dish scene. But it could be a base it could be a star base as much as it's uh, yeah. a ship. Um, and I wonder then if, again, just to mention insurrection, is that why we get kind of so many, actually, I was going to say, is that why we get so many sh- uh, scenes in space with space battles? One thing that, um, now this is not an original thought, this is something I've seen in reviews and I totally agree with it, that Jonathan Frakes did, which was very clever, is he conned us into thinking this would be a space battle film by giving us the battle of sector 001 right at the front. And then because of the pacing of the film, it do, it's not like it drops. It's not like it gets boring because it really doesn't. Mm. You start with this big bang. So rather than building to that, where that's inevitably going to, okay, well, there's obviously ex- exceptions to the rule, but inevitably when you build something up in your head, it's never quite, it'll be 99% what you hope. It's never 100% what you hope. Again, with the possible example of Endgame. Um, but whereas at the start you get, it's a massive board cube. It's the Defiant. It's all these new ships. It's the Millennium Falcon. You get that, you know, the Enterprise E passing in front of the Defiant. It is a great, you get Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation, which I love because I never knew it was him for years because mm. I didn't clue. And then I was like, no, 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 no. wait a minute. Um, and it was brilliant. And it's, and it's so blinking, you'll miss. We get the Akira class. And I'm not going to go through them all, but specifically, we get the Akira class. Thank you very much, Alex Yeager. And then we get, and then we're straight into the time warp. And then Montana's being fired at. And then the, the sphere is being exploded. And then, and then, and then, and it just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. 
so that afterwards you don't have those fleet battles you don't have torpedoes and phasers firing mm. and i think it's really clever how they did it you could say that a fair criticism that has been leveled against picard season two is that the first two episodes are space battle and then time travel that's basically what first contact is it's space battle and then time travel but first contact only being a two-hour movie to be fair um I think handles that a little bit better, like because it is a very finite. It as as much as you can keep your pacing up and going, that mm. really works. And in first contact, that really works. Um, a bit unfair. Picard is a ten-hour season, so I'm being a bit unfair there. But you know, I think that yeah, that's really good. It goes to set piece, to set piece, to set piece. Um, I've no idea what your original question was, but uh, I that's my breakdown of Star Trek: <laughs> First Contact, and I hope you enjoyed it. It's um like as you said, I think it's like it kind of keeps on going in terms of like the battle on the Enterprise keeps on kind of developing from kind of like encountering for the first time and things like that and engineering. And um one thing that I really do like about it is remember Michael Dorn at the time saying this was the role that Worf was really created for. And Worf is brilliant in this, like and he really comes across like I love when Yo, he announced that the Picard of the Borg have adapted and he just basically gets the phaser rifle and just beats the hell out of the Borg. And it's class because you're going, this is what I want to see. Like, there's no messing around here. Like, even to start with the Defiant, basically saying, you're basically rammed the Borg cube. You're kind of there going, this is so cool. Like, I, like, I, I, <laughs> I'm a massive fan of the line, uh, assimilate this. I think it is remarkably cheesy. I remember listening to the director's comment or to the audio commentary of Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Bragg. And I think they were pointing the finger at each other as to who wrote the line. <laughs> they're going, I didn't write the line. <laughs> I didn't write the line. Who wrote the line? And it's great because it's just, because it, I think the whole scene is brilliant because, you know, as the, the music kind of builds up and you see the reflector dish flying off and your war picks up his face. It's just such a ridiculous line. And I see the thing is, it's funny. You know me from like all the reviews we do and all that. And you're probably there going, I'm sure he'd hated that line. But yeah. I, just, I endorse it for its utter, utter cheese. And it's brilliant from that kind of point of view. Like from a point of view, when you look at it, like how what you said about the Enterprise E, I think it's just the scene when they're in the neutral zone you get this absolutely ridiculous shot of it again because it's a model and it looks massive like all the shots of the bridge the uniform actually that's one thing as well that that this movie completely got right and insurrection and nemesis really kind of fell apart with when you look at the bridge in this movie the angles are very tight on the action and things like that right but if you actually look at insurrection and nemesis there's a lot of really i, I obviously know nobody can see we're on camera each other so i'm actually <laughs> moving my hands up there's really kind of wide high angle shots and it looks really cheap because remember when we were when we were discussing generations which of course was only 10 minutes ago um <laughs> there was um they said the reason they gave michael Dorn a chair is because the new aspect ratio for filming meant that they couldn't do the you know the high Have camera standing yeah yeah so it made it look more cinematic and when you when we talk about insurrection actually and primarily nemesis you get all those shots and it looks really cheap but in this like just the directing like it's brilliant how it looks like it looks phenomenal it looks like you know generations was still you're still looking at enterprise d what we're used to but with this it was so different and it looked different and it felt different. It's one thing I really did love about rewatching it. 
Um, it's actually funny. So um, I recently had a conversation with uh, VFX designer and art designer Douglas Dreckler, um, and we spoke about the bridge of the Enterprise E. And it's funny, he would agree with what you're saying in terms of how it's filmed, because one thing he doesn't like about the design of the Enterprise E bridge hmm. is how when you compare it to the Enterprise D, you had Riker, Picard, and usually Troy were within inches of each other. In the Enterprise E, he says, you don't get that sense of command because the chairs are floating quite a bit further away from each other. Yeah. And he said that was an issue. Now, I think in first contact, you don't get that sense so much because of the way it's shot. When you get those wider shots then going into insurrection, and I think you're, you're dead right. Uh, it's, it's the only thing wrong with Star Trek Nemesis is uh that uh exactly the yeah, only thing wrong with the it. only thing wrong they're about they, they are a few feet away from each other <laughs> and you don't get that sense then of i guess he, he used the example of think of the original uh bridge and you know that captain's chair in the middle, it's almost like a throne yes uh that's not sorry that's the way he described it and you really don't get that sense with the enterprise e no i think as well aren't the um Aren't the kind of the small computers that are Troy and Riker's desk? I think is the kind of the side kind of arm of it. I think that's actually leaning towards the captain's chair. So I think if you were to get off the chair and go around to the captain's chair, you actually have to go around the console. Actually, while you're talking about that, I'm going to quickly Google that and just actually see that's because a, no, that's that, that that's good. Actually, do check that because that would then adding more wh whether it was maybe to give the angle around the captain's chair, which I don't think it does. Um, and yeah, I and, and that is one thing that I don't love about the bridge of the Enterprise. -E. I do like the bridge of the Enterprise -E a lot. I love I do love the way they did um ops and com. Actually, uh, look at it here. Yeah, sorry, it is the side. So yeah, the immediate get out so from Troy's seat, as I'm looking at it here, she'd get out to her left. And if she was to go to gotcha. her right, yeah, it doesn't kind of work. And also even if she swiveled her chair right, the steps, the step to Picard's chair is right there. So you'd actually have to put your feet up. So it's quite awkward. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, whether I'd, I'd have to go back, I do, I have the, um, the, the model of E. So I'll see if it's in the, because they do, they do design uh, interviews in it. Uh, whether that was a deliberate, let's elevate mm. Picard above the rest, which it was, I no, can understand. That was definite, because I remember reading that, that at the time, that they intentionally elevated Picard's seat, so he'd be... But again, like, it's from a cinematic point of view, really, isn't it, like, for the movies and things like that? Um, just to kind of, you know, have more kind of prominence and things along those lines. Uh, Question um, for you, actually, one thing I wanted to check with you. What's your favourite scene in this? The Observation Lounge. Yeah. yeah there is but like i love i love the action in this film um i love love first contact itself but i think just for the impact and the performances it's um picard and lily in the yeah. observation lounge i just think they must have known when they were writing that scene i was like right this is gonna be patrick stewart's big moment uh so we need someone who can go toe to toe with him. So thank you very much, Jonathan Frakes in that scene for, you know, asking Alfred Woodard. Um, I think every part of that scene works. It's the most different we ever see Jean-Luc. Oh, well, up until that point, at least um, we've never seen him really. I mean, there are, there are episodes when he's very emotional, 
We've never seen him lose control like this. Um, and of course, swings the rifle around. And it works so well because he delivers his mass performance and because the way she responds to him as well. That's so well done. He flips out, smashes the thing, and he's like, oh. and what does she say? You broke your little ships because it's so normal for her to see people fly off the handle like this. Yeah. And that was something we had never seen with Captain Picard. Yes. Um, so that is why it's my favorite scene. I although I will say with first contact, you could nearly take your pick. There's so many great scenes, standalone scenes as well. Um, nearly anything with the Queen. Um uh, first contact itself. A lot of, not all of, but a lot of Zephyr and Cochran. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love I love Barkley's little cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love that he was on the planet because he's getting assimilated first if he's on the ship. There's like, I even though they might leave him, be a bit like a uh, lower decks. In fairness, I would say if Barkley was on the Enterprise, he would have thrown himself out the first airlock because, or I don't know, or not, he just would have shot himself with a phaser. There's no way he would have survived on the Enterprise for too long. I, you see, he would have gone to shoot himself with a phaser and accidentally hit the plasma coolant tanks. <laughs> um, you know, from sick bay, you know. Um, oh, actually, that was that's another nice thing. Uh, the doctor's cameo, yeah. um, and Neelix's cameo. Like this, this film came out. It was fresh enough to TNG. It's only two years, sure, since mm-hmm. TNG had finished. Yeah. DS Nine was obviously very much on the air. Voyager was on the air. Yeah. Um. This this did a really good job of kind of balancing. You know, does it? Does it do the original? Because, yes, I know the identity of the Vulcan who steps off the ship, but that's if you go and read extended beta and everything. So does it do original series? Because it obviously does TNG and the fact that it's a TNG film. Oh, Ze- Duh, Sean, Zephram Cochran, hello. Uh, so, Grant, so everything up to that point is wrapped in this film. It's almost like, um, imagine, imagine if Twitter existed back in the day and uh, people saw Zephyr Cochran as being an alcoholic, you know, tall man. And they're going, wait a second, that's not the same guy who's a metamorphosis. This venom is crap. Hashtag <laughs> not my warp drive. <laughs> Burn the movie. Um, <laughs> question for you, right? This is one we discussed um, before. And I'm just, I, 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 I I'm just thinking back to when I watched this in the cinema and there was one thing that I always cringed at and I even now when I still watch it I still cringe and they're going there could have been a better way of doing this and I'm, I'm curious to drink it's the scene with Data and the Borg Queen kissing and the whole thing of trying to basically get him to go to her side is basically to do with sex and we discussed before about you know I, I give the examples of some of the Pierce Bros and James Bond films and basically how it was just the late 90s was really kind of poor for that kind of thing. I kind of, I still even watch them, they're going like the, the tempting of flesh is enough, I felt. And then they're going, I don't really kind of see the whole point. And, you know, I look, that's my interpretation. I, I actually, I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. The tempting of flesh, it's data. Yeah. The tempting of flesh, I think that was enough. Yeah. Um, because Data was never going to betray them. Like we yeah. we knew this watching it. I I know you have to portray it in such a way. Flesh was enough. Um, but I guess one thing that I think was essential to this film, you needed to have a mouthpiece for the Borg. You needed the Queen. There's been a lot of discussion of was the Queen a good idea or not. I think overall for the collective, I don't know. But for this film, yes, you needed no, you to have yeah, a, yeah. A, a villain. Um. And still, 
greatest entry for any villain in the franchise. What do, what do you? I'm I'm happy to be debated on this, but the way she lowers down and lowers into the body is that the oh, greatest? Yeah, from like yeah, from point from of view, the... kind of technically and all that kind of definitely was brilliant. It was it was such a unique kind of smart way to kind of do it. Like it's brilliant. Yeah, so I think and like there's so many there's so many things to love about the queen. Um, we are now we're now spoiled for queens. Uh, I have to say, and I'm not saying this to be like Captain Fair. I love them all. Mm. Annie Wershing, I thought, brought a brilliant. Uh, maniacal sort of uh, tint to the Queen in Star Trek Picard. Susanna Thompson is this cold scientist in Voyager. And I, the more I watch her, the more frightening she is. Mm-hmm. Alice Krieg plays sexy, which we'd never associated the Borg with sexy before. Um, and they go with some good body horror in this film. You know, which is a bit ironic, think, seeing it would take another nearly 20 years to bring David Cronenberg into the franchise. But mm. uh, it was a good body horror in this. And that whole idea of her skeleton and her, you know, the, her spine is just hanging out the bottom of her while she's just talking to Data. That's very, like, guys, this is, this is not a PG-13 film. What are you trying to get away <laughs> with here? Uh, but to your original point of um, tempting Data with sexuality, no. I, I, I don't think it was necessary. I don't think it fit the story. Um, there's actually, I have another, my least favorite line from the film is spoken by Data. Does, Captain, I believe I speak for everyone here when I oh, say yeah, to hell with the Reuters. It's just like, I'm not blaming Brent Spiner for this. I'm going, did somebody watch The Undiscovered Country before sitting down to write that line? Because that's what that is. They're just doing the Spock line from Undiscovered Country. And it worked because we'd had 30 years of waiting for Spock to say something like that. Yeah, and yeah, it, it completely just didn't work. It, yeah, no. Um, like in terms of, say, good things, I'll, we'll just finish first contact on this. Um, like what you said, I think it's... I think I've said, said to you about it a million times in different podcasts. I thought, like, put a tape recorder to the TV, tape certain mm-hmm. scenes, and can do it all the way along. First contact, they were so bloody many. But for me, the two that I'd often go back to, one is Worf's line of assimilate this. I think everything works in the scene. I think the music works. I think just, the, you know, every, it's brilliant, right? But I'll end on this, and it's, you know, I, as we've discussed from generations and we're discussed now, I have issues with, you know, action hero Picard in these films. It just doesn't fit. But when, but the funny thing is, it's almost like a Battlestar Galactica thing. Like it's kind of, it, you know, your expectations are put totally away because of what you're seeing, but it'll bring you back. And I love just when they're evacuating the Enterprise, when um, Picard gives Lily the orders for what to do and she says you're not leaving and he just says you know when i was held captain on the board ship my crew risked everything to save me and there was still someone still on the ship and i owe him the same and the music is brilliant the music changes yeah. and it's it's absolutely phenomenal and it's excellent and it really again it goes back to you know the kirk spock mccoy thing that we had all the time of this complete camaraderie this complete friendship but of course like you know this whole picard data thing really only developed in the movies which just was not in the series at all but it's a brilliant line and it's delivered so well and so earnestly in the middle of all this with um with picard and um with picard and lily yeah um you actually just you brought it up the music yeah, in music. this film yeah. oh it's um it's not it's not my favorite thankfully we're spoiled for choice when it comes to star trek soundtracks it's not yeah. my favorite but possibly oh, it's up there with my favorite theme um 
like that. But actually, there, I'm running away with my thoughts now. One thing that I loved, 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 and I said this to you at the time, I said this to anyone who was near me on Twitter, um, episode three of Star Trek Picard season two, mm-hmm. um, Annie Wershing is there like, oh, you need assistance. Allow me. Raises her arms. All the tubes come out of her. The queen rises up and you go, bum, 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 bum. You know, that that big, massive Jerry Goldsmith Borg theme from First Contact plays over. And mm. I was just like, sold. <laughs> sold. Oh, I loved it. I love his Borg theme. There's there's many, many mashups on, on YouTube. I recommend them all, but someone's done like a Borg kind of suite mm. and they kind of blend Ron Jones' music from Best of Both Worlds into the first contact and it just works so perfectly oh i love it now that is it for star trek first contact um now we kind of start to slip off a cliff here a small bit as we go into our last two do you know what actually strange enough every single time i talk about insurrection i always get the year wrong i keep thinking it was 99 it's actually 98 I do the same. I do the exact same thing. I don't know what it is. I have it in my head because I think we have it in our head. It's the end of the nineties. It was yeah. It was Christmas ninety eight. It came out. If I'm pretty right, I have IMDb open in front of you that I couldn't be bothered checking. Um, <laughs> right, Star Trek Insurrection. Um, IMDb rating six point four out of ten, and a Rotten Tomato. Oh no, this is a <laughs> uh, Rotten Tomatoes audience score. Rotten forty four percent. Tomato Tomato meter is fifty four percent with a critical consensus. Although not terrible. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. That's that's that, that, that's the review. <laughs> <laughs> although not, not terrible. terrible. The end. <laughs> if you're if you're ever asked for a three word review, there you go. Although not terrible. Uh, the sluggishly paced insurrection plays like an ex- extended episode of the TV series. Uh, yeah, that's kind of that's, yeah, that's I, it's it's the most common uh, review put toward it. It's fair. Um, it was so. Obviously, we uh, and thanks to you, we've both uh, seen some of the original plans for this film. Yes. Um, and. I think there was issues from the beginning. I, I, even, I, I think yeah. even the original ideas, I think you were still faced with the issue of where do we go from first contact? And look, this is something we'll talk about when we go into the Calvin movies that if you look at it, right? Look, I'm so sorry, right? Actually, no, I'm not sorry. I compare these <laughs> movies to the, next, to the original series a lot, right? Mainly because, right? The motion picture, just kick the series off. Just get us into space. There's been 10 years. We've waited. It's fine. Right. We're in space. We're done. We're into it. Then they just somehow made a trilogy, two, three, and four. Five then just connects straight on to four. And then six is basically, well, look, that's the end of it now. We're going to have one last big adventure. And that's all that kind of thing. There's no connection to these films. And when you think of it, the tone of these films is absolutely all over the place. They're mm. totally, totally different. There's just no connection to them at all. But like, it's kind of like you have to hit the beats. There has to be the space battle. There has to be this and there has to be that. Like, I think a couple of weeks ago when I was watching this, I put up on, on our Twitter page about it. And I was when I was watching it, they were going, John, there's some, there are some good things in this. But overall, I was so bloody bored watching it and i was just there going oh god like again if it was a two-part next generation episode as everybody says you go oh yeah that was all right yeah that was grand yeah it was that was fine like you know, I'd, I'd watch it again kind of job like but it feels the like when we discussed first contact 
one of the things that we just, which was literally two minutes ago, and one of the things I said is like, actually this time. Yeah, <laughs> it looked cinematic. This yes. does not look cinematic. This, I think, so to be, I want to be very fair because the the effects, while good, have not aged well. They were very, they were good for the time for 1998. Mm. They were uh, first time we'd ever had an entirely digital film in terms of the space battles that everything was done with cgi um obviously they had used i didn't realize actually i think we were saying this before how much of first contact had been done with cgi not entirely because you still had your physical models in first contact as well yeah. whereas this is it's all moved to digital models and there are some scenes where that's patently obvious um a lot of the sona um hasn't aged very well the ships i mean although actually i don't know if you can see just behind me i finally thanks to uh eagle moss they've done the the sonar ships because those files i know you know were lost for years um they you know where you have like how quickly in voyager for example did a defiant class show up in season four that message in a bottle that you know the akira class they're like yeah these these did really well in the film let's bring these in bring these in the sonar ships never did They've never appeared again because they never archived those designs. Oh. So they only had drawings. That, and that because there was no physical models built and because and they lost the digital models, that's why it's taken 20 years uh, to get models of, say, the sonar ships. Whereas at least with the Enterprise E, you already had the files from first contact. Yeah. Um, so that was actually, sorry, I'm seeing. So I, 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 sorry, I thought you knew that. Um, so yeah, that is, that is the thing. So you had a, um, a lot of this I'm getting from the Star Trek, the Starships collection, because obviously as they went along, we had um, their, the Enterprise E model that they've released is based on the insurrection. It's not massively obvious, but that is a refit from what we saw in first contact. You see it around the nacelles most of yeah. all. Uh, and so the model that's currently available from that is the insurrection version. But then you had things like the mission scout ship, um, obviously the captain's yacht. They were both released quite early on uh, in the collection. I promise I'm not pitching for the collection here, but in that what you're seeing is that they were slightly easier designs to redo because yeah. of much smaller ships, you know, that obviously size means nothing when you're doing a design, but they were easy enough. Yeah, but the sonar ships, they were always a big headache and that brings me to one of my biggest problems with the film is not the sonar battleship, which I love, you know, that, that horseshoe, I love that one. And the Sona Command Ship, which I quite like, but the Sona Collector, yeah, that's when you start to see it's 1998 and you don't have the technology that you think you have in terms of design. Looked all right when it was just panning over the other ships, that's grand, but when they extend those sails and then inexplicably, when you were standing on the Collector and all you're surrounded by blue screen original blue screen there's nothing else there and like, i was messaging you about that at the time yeah. going like if they have blue screen there could they not just throw a starfield in the back because it just like as i like i said to you when we were talking about first contact like in terms of like some of the shots like especially the sauna bridge it just looks so cheap like rafu's chair looks like just a giant oversized couch like did you find in a novelty shop or something like it i remember hearing i can't remember from what but it's a reused prop from something else or it then became real and it's just like it it doesn't look like a command now not everything has to look like a, a federation command ship fine but think about 
you know, anytime you were on a Romulan warbird, you knew where things were. Anytime you were on a Klingon ship, things were designed in such a way. It's like, right, that's a bridge. This was a club. And the lighting on the bridge, on their bridge, was just desperate. It was so bloody bright, right? Yeah. But there's there's one thing, and I, I, I was texting you about this. Um, I, was, I was on a beach, and I, was, I decided to drop you a voice message because that's, of course, what I do. And I was there going, if in this movie that this, uh, the Baku looked like the Packlids, like, would Picard really have kind of said, yeah, I'm just going to resign my commission. I'm going to take up arms and I'm going to fight. And like, it's a kind of like, I know it's a bit of a kind of a cheap cutter, but again, and I'll bring this up in a few minutes. Again, my issue with this movie and late 90s movies is all about sex and all this kind of nonsense. And then just there going, it's got no place in this movie whatsoever, but it's everywhere in this movie. And it pisses me off when I watch it because they're going, it's just cheap and it's awkward. It is a bit, and I know, unfortunately, I think Patrick Stewart was part of the decision to make sure Jean-Luc had a love interest. And look, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. If I am offered a lead role in a film, I was like, do you want a love interest? Well, all right, then maybe I will, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I don't mind the, the Riker-Troy thing. It's sudden. It's very sudden. Like they always had an on again, off again flirting in TNG. So it's not like it's so out of left field. But this is like this is someone who has been in an established relationship for a long time. The way you know, when if he arrives at her office, it's like, like that's not really appropriate to do with a commander on your ship. Uh, I mean, if you want to look at it the first way, it's like first of all, you're her boss. Stop that. Second of all. Look, they, they have clearly been going out for a while by the time we joined the story, and we're told that, oh, it's just because the rings... Wait a second, hang on. There's two things in this that, that really that drive me mad. One, she says, I've never kissed you with a beard before. You're going... You're like, I can think of three examples off the top of my head, but what, all right, what, cool. What's going on with that? And two, at the end, like, Riker is t- talking to Worf going, you know... Do you think that our feelings will stay the same? And you're going, wait a second, he was dating her there. Like, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you talking about his ex to him in front of him? It's just kind of, yeah, forget about it. Forget and about also, it. And also, in terms of timelines as well, just after his wife has died. Yeah. So, yeah, because this came after season six of DS9. Spoiler, I guess, for a 20-year-old uh, shock twist. But um, because there was... Oh, yeah. There was a scenes uh, that would have addressed that and they were dropped from the film for sake of... I love that, right? Hang on, sorry. Just the logic of the producers. Oh, mm. uh, people won't get the story. Are you telling me that everyone sitting in their seats watching Star Trek Insurrection hasn't watched Star Trek? Um, I have to ask you this question as well. Why was the scene of Riker having his beard shaved, why did it need to be in a bath? Oh, uh, because every time something like that happens, a wizard did it. What? what like, why? I just, <laughs> like, what? It was like, for, like, to have the visual, <laughs> that's it, to have the visual gag of him talking to Doherty while he's in the back, but it wasn't played as a gag. Yeah, well, yeah. Again, the humor in this is, by and large, horrendous. The whole thing was Data and the kid, and like, the end of it, when Data does the whole point at Riker's yo know, chest and just touches his nose they're going is this how he's an android he could have shattered his brain by doing that anyway but as um, well like again just to finish on the whole you know the the kind of awkward sex thing as well like we've I, 
you know, I think I've messaged you about this before. Like the whole thing of Riker or Troy and Beverly Crusher Bay saying, Do you know and so your boobs have firmed up? And you're please no, no. And the data says it to Worf, and you're going, Oh, for the love of God, like this. You were just like, if you wanted uh if you wanted any evidence right there that men wrote this movie. <laughs> There it is. There it is. And it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny at all because it's garbage. Question. Um, Riker with no beard, yes or no? No. No, absolutely not. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. The Um, only thing is, though, it it gives us one hell of a visual gag, which for years I never spotted, and I read about it, and it's flipping prices, and I can't ever get it out of my head. When on the bridge, I think I told you something before, and if I didn't, people in Radio Land, uh, you're going to hear about this, and you need to watch it straight away because it's hilarious because it's terrible. When because they have to do reshoots, right? And there's a scene on the bridge. I think it's just when um, I don't whatever. And Picard says to Troy and Riker, basically, you two need to become experts on the uh, on the Baku or the oh, yeah. or whatever. And at this at this point, the beard was gone, so they gave him a prosthetic beard. And if you actually look at the mustache part of the beard, it's actually hanging off. No way. And that is hilarious. Hilarious. It's so bad. Like, it's just, oh. you're there going, oh, my God, this is this is a comedy beard. <laughs> okay, that is grand. While you talk for a second, I'm going to... Find uh, the movie in <laughs> uh, Trek Core. Yep. And... Oh, yeah, find that there. Yeah, that's like, that is... Show it up on the... Well, there's no point putting up the... It's like okay. this is live or something. And people are oh, gonna, it's gonna totally speak. live. Totally live. Don't be silly, yeah. The um, other thing as well is about this, right? I, If I'm right, I bought the Continuing Mission book just before this came out. I think the Continuing Mission book at the time comprised of The Next Generation, uh, Generations and First Contact, and they were previewing Insurrection. Now, look... I'm going to say this, and you'll be shocked when I say this. Hollywood is full of absolute crap. And I, I no, I how dare <laughs> how you dare say you such what? Scurrilous allegation. And Jonathan Frakes was talking about this movie, and he basically said, you know, we know all about the curse of the odd number movie. He said, but we're, we're classifying this as nine of ten, right? That's all okay. fine, right? That's fine. But of course, Youngs later when it came out, he said that. Yeah, basically, he gave all the reasons why the film failed and things like that, right? And you're kind of there going, yes, that's the picture. Yes, sure. yeah, like, it's just, yeah, it's it's awful. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious. But it's just kind of like, you know, like, look, you're going to big up your movie anyway. But like, I think that the reason I'm saying this is it's, it's just like Transformers, like the second one, what was it? Revenge of the Fall, I think it was. Good uh, God, I do not like that film. Yeah, but at the time they were there going, oh, the writer's strike is going to affect you, isn't it? They're going, no, not at all. It's going to be a great film years later. Well, the writer's strike affected us. So what I'm saying is, don't trust what people tell you about these movies, especially if they're in it, because they're going to tell you what you are desperately wanting to hear, which is everything's perfect. When in reality, it's probably a dumpster fire in the background, which is like, again, I'm not saying this movie's a dumpster fire. It's just, it's bland. It's fine. Like, for me, like again, right? I asked you about the, you know, I asked you first about your favorite scene in First Contact. My favorite scene in this, oddly enough, is the space battle. I think the space battle is absolutely class. I love the scene when they, um, then they detonate the thingamajiggy and mm. they're, they're trying to fly away from it. They, they eject the warp core. I love it. Like they're not getting fired upon. It's I, I just, love, just that. Sorry, the most epic exchange. Eject the core. I just did. I know. Smile. That, that, I, that's awful. That's, that oh, really no. is awful. I will it's defend awful. that it's to awful. the ground. It's, it's awful. wonderful. It's awful. 
Um, like it's the same then a minute later when the Enterprise turns around to fight the sonar ships and the music is class like and um, then you know he says to uh, Mr. Daniels you know I'm going to shove it down the sonar's throats and then your one kind of looks at him and says oh he's so cool no no uh, uh, unfortunately, the dearly departed Stephanie yeah. Nizik, I think I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, she was awesome. Um, and the was, manual steering column, then you're going, What is this about? Like, what? What, what was that? Is that um, about? And there was and there was absolutely no need, anyway. Anyway, look, we know, yes, that was that was not one of the better decisions. Oh, and also, Riker uses a dirty word. Because they're through running from these bastards. Well, that's class. I enjoyed that. In a fair, like it's just you know, I, I I did appreciate that. I also like the um. There's a line in this I do like, and I don't know why I like it. I just think it's just it's 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 cute, right? It's when Data walks into the lake and whatever the little kid's name, I can't remember his name is. Um, I uh, kind of, Artem. Yeah, him. And he kind of says, uh, "Doesn't he breathe?" I love that Picard just kind of looks and says, "Ha ha." Data doesn't breathe. And I'm just there going, ah, oh, that's yeah. cute. I like that. Won't he rust? No. <laughs> Can I ask you another question? Listen, shut up. Let the man do his <laughs> <Yeah>. job. <laughs> Listen, if you read the script, right? It's fine, right? He's going to be, here's a copy of the script. Read it there and it'll be fine. <laughs> there, There is a wonderful inconsistency and it's not entirely um, just in insurrection, but they've, they're, they're fairly selective about how they apply the Treaty of Algeron, aren't they? Oh, stuff. I know. Uh, so, I mean, like, like the actual, uh, so, because we had this in Who Watches the Watchers as well, the, you know, the duck blind, that idea of, like, that's, that's cloaking technology, guys. But, I mean, they have a fully cloak-enabled ship. Ah, now, lads, I would be a bit worried if any Romulans were to find out about this. Um, I've, one point I wanted to bring up, right, but I'm, before I bring it up, what's your favourite point in, this, in the movie? And I'm going to disqualify you from saying Geordi at the Sunrise, because that is, by and large, the best bloody scene in this film by a country. It, My, it's brilliant. It is the best scene of the film. Um, yeah, I know you're, but, you're there going, damn it, I had the way out. I have an answer. There's a, I mean, I mean yes, but okay, there, there's a couple. I like, it's very short. But I like Doherty, Ruafo, and Picard in Picard's ready room. I thought that was, it's gross. Again, not as much body horror as First Contact had, but there is still a bit of it in this as well with the skin stretching and then the cut over Ruafo's eye opens. Mm. Um, I liked that. Um, in fact, I like, I think if there's one thing I don't criticize in this film, it's F. Murray Abraham. He is playing it for the backseats. Yeah. Like he is absolutely committed. Um, I thought Anthony, Admiral Dougherty works better when you know the backstory. Otherwise, he's just your standard badmill. But actually, he had been so upset by the loss of his wife. This idea of recapturing youth, of recapturing life, is enough to turn the mind of this dedicated Starfleet. He and Picard had been friends years previously. All of this is not in the film. <laughs> which is like, oh, all right. So he's just... There we go. Just, just bad, bad man. Yeah. Um, and I, I do, for the silliness of it, I do like the, the opening. Oh, how do you feel about how Worf gets on the Enterprise? Like, John's really funny, right? We'll discuss the nemesis as well, right? When this happened, I remember people were discussing, how is he going to be a nemesis? And I just said, 100% he's just going to be there, and there's going to be no discussion yeah. about it. 
Yeah. 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 Whereas this one was just like, you know, Mr. Worf, what the hell are you doing? Oh, who gives a shit? Okay, but what, so... Yeah. But hang, sorry, hang on a second. Now that you bring that up, right? I was just thinking of it. What was the point in the scene of him sleeping on the Enterprise and Picard waking him up? So that was... And I only know this from the novelization as opposed to the film. So again, things that were left out. He was dreaming about Jadzia, which is why he oversleeps. And it's to do with the, you know, the radiation. He's, it's quite a passionate dream. It's not a sex dream, but yeah, I think they're kind of they're going for a targ together or something. So, okay, it is a sex dream for a Klingon. Um, and that was set up to be like that. And then, of course, that didn't happen. So it just becomes, let's make a fool of Worf. And then Worf has a pimple. Yeah, and then Worf doesn't all... want to sing along, you God. know? So whereas oh, the Worf was... Thing, what was that about? It is a gorge. It's like, right, yeah. Okay, that's fine. Right, thanks, yeah. thanks, thanks for that. Um, like, the line definitely feeling aggressive tendencies, I like. You could have set it up a different way. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I I I do not hate this film. I, I certainly like it more than I like what we're about to talk about. Um, <laughs> but it it's it's one episode. People say it's a two-parter. This is a this is your standard, this is homeward or or homebound from season seven of the next generation with some more isolinear tags in it. But the thing with, see, so yeah, that, sorry, that was a comparison I was going to make, right? In the sea, in, in, in Homeward, right? That's the one with, no, sorry, Homeward is flipping Worf and his brother, isn't it? That's, that's the one I mean. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's the one I'm comparing it to there. Sorry, I'm, what, what's the one with Wesley and the Traveller, the last one in, the last one he's in, uh, in season seven? Journey's End, yeah, another, obviously, very fair comparison. Because in that, they're trying to resettle people, yeah, which is basically the same as here. And Wesley is basically saying no, which is what Picard says. And in the next generation, Picard says, "I'm acting on orders from the Federation Council," which is exactly what Admiral Dougherty says. So you're there going, TV show Picard is there going, "I am duty bound. I have to do this." And meanwhile, movie Picard is there going, "Listen, there's a woman on the planet. I really want to bang, and as a result, I am willing to." Sign my commission and be gone. And it's kind of like it's just it, it's just again as I said, look, movie Picard is not the same as TV show Picard. It's just the action hero and all this kind of thing. And I'm just there going, this is just this doesn't make sense, right? One thing as well, right, is like we know about you know Captain Kirk loving and leaving him and all that kind of thing. And but like an age is, is what 800 million years old and all that kind of thing. And she looks about you know early 40s. Like she's probably looks the exact same like now. Like did, did Picard just try and like not remember her phone number? Like or did you just kind of say, ah, I can't get over to you. Really sorry. Anyway, look, I think we should see other people. Like they must have really hated each other because even then <laughs> you fake it to get the Phantom Youth. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, oh, it's so nice to see you. Do you want to meet my parents? No, not really. No, I'm going to chill out on the other side of the planet. You'll never even know I'm here. Yeah, he could just arrive back in a shuttle and go, listen, I'm going to go off to your version of Wexford and he won't be able to get across. I'm really sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm so slammed for time. You flew how many light years to get here? Um, yeah, actually, funny enough, uh, Patrick Stewart, when interviewed at the time, said if it was him, he would have moved the Baku. I'm I'm not I I am not 
I don't know. I certainly, I can see, right, the dilemma that's put before everyone in this film is this enormous benefit, this enormous um, good thing, benefit, I guess, to everyone uh, is the radiation of the rings of this planet. So, yeah, of course, we absolutely want to, you know, get in on that and everything. Right, you have a native population. You know... Because of Strange New Worlds, episode one, and there is a map. This is not a spoiler. There's a map that has a bunch of names on it. The planet Baku is written on it. So you've surely known for 200 years that the Baku exist. Um, and you, why now? Why is, why, why is it now? Because actually the Sona... Hang on. Oh, dear. Oh, hang on. All right, everyone... I've, I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole, but depending on when this is released, I hope you've seen the first episode of Strange New Worlds. I'm not going to discuss a plot point, but there is potentially an issue with a map. In Star Trek Insurrection, Anish tells him that about 100 years ago, a group of them broke away and became the Sona. Not the Baku, is it? Oh, I don't know, whatever. I, it, it I, started oh, no, the Baku, Baku, Baku. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. So that was what from 23, I'm going to say 2379, right? It might be different. So that means 2279. How is there the planet Sona written on a map in 2259 in Strange New Worlds? Um, Sean, uh, you're, 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 you're trying to apply logic to people who don't really understand Star Trek. Oh, stop it. That's not nice to say. What did we say, what did we say earlier? I'm, you no, not liking I'm, something is I'm playing the fair role of the, the Twitter flipping warrior. Bastards. I knew that's where I was going with that I'm, one. I'm through talking with these on. bastards. The... Um, the um what's I going to say but like again as you said the logic of the movie kind of falls apart from point of view of like anyone who would have been down on the planet uh like because obviously the federation first discovered the planet yeah that is say we're going to set up something there they obviously would have had recon missions then they would have had to build the whole uh duck blind mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and at no point did anybody kind of go wait a second that injury on my hand is mysteriously healed or i feel much younger and was that never reported back at any point? Because, like, it all seems you kind of, like, you know, like, you just bring people down. Like, you just need to just keep bossing people in in a ship, like, just kind of, yeah. you know, beaming down for some more. Like, how many people go to Risa on, a, on an annual basis? Like, why can't people just go to this planet and just kind of just, you know, like, you don't need to take the rings away. You can just basically say, here, just you go, here's a pleasure planet. Just go there, relax, enjoy yourself, recover. Like yeah. they're, 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 you've kind of solved the problem of the movie right there. Like it's not like the movie, the planet's exclusive and you can't go there. Like that's it. And like it's it's one of those things as well where they they try and make the argument um, that uh, you know oh well you know it would take so long and so thing. Da, 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 da. It's like sure, but what have you been doing for the last hundred years? You know, I- yeah. So th- it's it's presented in this film. Yeah. As if they've just discovered this planet. Yes, yes, exactly. Like they discovered the last week kind of job. Like, yeah. Um, other thing as well as with this, and you brought it up earlier on, right? If you, if you, if you've an interest in the behind the scenes on this, there's a book out there called, it's called Fade In, Sean, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's written by Michael Pillar. It's his basically journey to making the movie. And like, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff with him, Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner. And Look, I think this is the start of Patrick Stewart getting a bit too much power behind the scenes with, say, this movie and especially the next movie. 
and it's too much of Patrick Stewart seeping in and not enough of Captain Picard. You'll read, like, you'll see a lot of this discussing. One thing that re- I was really interested with Michael Piller and Brent Spiner specifically is apparently Brent Spiner didn't really like Michael Piller and didn't feel he could write for him. And Michael Piller says in the book, he's there going, he doesn't, like, he said, Brent Spiner doesn't actually realize that a lot of, like, you know, with his role in The Next Generation, a lot of scripts would have passed his desk. So he would have made changes. And he said, some of Data's most memorable lines are actually written by me. Mm. That's how much I actually understand the character. But Brent Spiner didn't feel that Michael Piller really understood the character of Data. Um, Yeah, like if you're basing it off the films, maybe. But no, there's a whole like four seasons of Star Trek before that where no, 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 like. He, he, he knows what he's at. I think it, I think that's a, a way of going, I wasn't very satisfied with the role at this time. I was like, that's fair enough. Sure, he'd said, I mean, this is, you know, but hardly a spoiler again, 20 Why years later. Kill him, didn't he? Yeah, he was like, I don't, I mean, yeah. like, bring me back for insurrection as long as I die. Yeah. Um, and uh, Berman delivered the script. This is from Fade In. Berman delivers a script with a post-it saying, sorry, kill you next time. That's right. And well, they did. Um, what was I going to say? The soundtrack to this, it's uh, I I enjoy it. It's yeah. really nice. It's a, it's it, it's quite an enjoyable kind of piece of music. I yeah, I love the like they went obviously they went different from First Contact. That it's a very pastoral that kind of piano music as we mm. just pan over the Baku. And then I actually like, I suppose you can call it the Dark Federation theme that yeah. plays across this one. I really really do like that. I. Listen, there. I've probably seen Insurrection more than I've seen First Contact because for a long time in the 90s, I had it on VHS and that would be just my go-to film um, because it's, it's such an easy watch. You know? At, yeah, like in fairness, it is like there's, it's it's pure fluff. Like you could just, you could throw it on the background and yeah. it's absolutely fine. Like, like there is one thing we discussed there with First Contact is that the Enterprise does feel a bit busier. There is kind of at least a bit more of a kind of a sense of like, this is actually a starship. Like there's more people around and things like that. That's, I did appreciate that in it. Um, I did like the new, and I, I, I'm pretty certain you have it in your locker. The uh, the dress uniform, the white dress uniforms. I most certainly do have it. You're dead right. <laughs> yes, um, I very much, very much do like that one. It's just lovely, isn't it? Disney. Um, and it's not that I have any problem with you know the earlier dress uniforms, but I, I there's something just it's more formal, maybe. Um, I think it just works for me. Um, yeah. I remember the last thing I'll say about Insurrection, the day I went to see it, uh, the first day it came out, I remember went home, went up to my brother, and he said, well, what was it like? And I remember saying to him, the curse of the odd-numbered Star Trek strikes again. Sean, your final word on Insurrection. Um, it was, this This one is for the hardline Trekkies. Yeah. This, this, this one is for, like, I don't think it's a bad film. I don't think its reputation is deserved. I just don't think it's a particularly great film. Um, it would slot somewhere in around seasons five and six of TNG. Yeah. Um, it's got a fun space battle, uh, a fun scenery chewing villain, uh, far too much time walking around the planet. Um, a lot of faffing around, yeah. A fair amount of faffing around. You know, and then 
clearly the script was written by a man who had once seen a woman. Uh, and maybe I'm being harsh, but have you noticed how your boobs have started to firm up? Not that we care about such things in this day and age. It's like, now, come on. But yes, like, that's so, yeah. sorry. Let's be fair as well. The scene was with Anish blowing on the thingamajiggy, and like, let's be fair. There's a hell of a lot of uh, kind of you know extra stuff onto that now as well. Like Picard isn't just thinking about it, everything in slow motion. Like again, you're kind of there going. There's no need for this, for Christ's sake. It's a Star Trek film, like, like you know this this as you say, this isn't Kirk. This isn't if it stands still long enough, I'll take my pants down. Yeah. You know, yeah, God Almighty. Um, uh, look, we'll park in direction because look, we have to we have to talk about this. Right? It's just, it's just, we have oh, to talk gosh. about Nemesis. Like it's just, John Logan is not a bad writer. What the hell not, happened? I know, I know, but it's this kind of hey, there was this really po- popular film called The Wrath of Khan. Let's rip that apart. Um, right, Star Trek Nemesis. Um, IMDb rating 6.4 out of 10. That's generous. Sure, uh, yeah, pretty sure it was the same as Insurrection. And the Rotten Tomato score is a big whopping. Um, 49% audience score, rotten, and tomato meter is 38%. That's generous. Critical consensus, Nemesis has an interesting premise and some good action scenes, but the whole affair feels a bit tired. There's a line that, um, like, this is, this is how bad I'm struggling to actually remember. I, I can't even remember the name of the bloody bad guy at this moment. <laughs> it's Shins on. That's how, like, I've only watched this last week and I'm already trying to raise my head. Uh, Shinzan says at one point, "You're too. What did you're too slow? You're too old. One of the, well, you're one too of, slow, old man. Yeah, that defines this film. Everybody looks old. Everybody looks tired. Like Riker's still first officer on the ship, and he just he looks like they're like, what the hell am I still doing here? Kind of thing. We discussed as we discussed the original series films in terms of the original cast aged more gracefully. Um, I felt because like they weren't trying to show them as action heroes because like they were too bloody old to be action heroes." But this film just, you said something to me about this and it utterly shocked me. And it, I think it adds to how terrible the movie is. And I'm going to say terrible because I genuinely did not, I do not enjoy watching this at all. I think it's an extremely mean spiritual film. You told me before that they kind of voice synthesized Michael Dorn's voice down. Yeah. Did they do it for anyone else? Because it sounds like, it sounds like a lot of them are talking in slow motion. I, I've not heard that they did it for anyone else. I, I, I know they did it for Dorn. Um... But uh, yeah, I've not heard if they did for anyone else. It wouldn't wouldn't shock me because uh, when you you know the scene in is it sick bay or wherever the hell it is, and Picard gets uh, beamed up, and Riker kind of hits his combat and says warp shields up, like it just feels so slow, and there's no action, there's no attention to it. The director of this film, Stuart Baird, so he was an editor, yeah. and he was given this film. He didn't know Trek, and I don't think it's necessary to be a Trekkie to direct a Star Trek film. I, I, that's my Nick, Nicholas Meyer wasn't a Star Trek fan, like exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, depending on who you ask, Leonard Nimoy wasn't a Star Trek fan either. But yeah, <laughs> um, and but here it, sh- it it's it's like it's trying to be a bit of a James Bond. Uh, I remember the the, the first uh, teaser images of the Argo. I uh, came with the you know the paper version of the clickbait thumbnail going James Bond question mark um, like I don't mind the Argo but it's in the same way that's like it's just not really much you could put into this film to make it a 
good film. I think even if they had kept the original idea for the ending, I still don't think it would have saved. Well, I mean, it wouldn't have saved this film. I have big problems with the plot of this film. But sorry, with, with the Argo, again, that's a whole Patrick Stewart become being Patrick Stewart. He's a huge car fan. And like mm. he was basically, he wanted to have this in the movie. And like, there's Picard, a big smile on his face, ripping around on a doom buggy. And you're going, what the hell is this? Like, who the hell is this guy? Like, this isn't bloody Jean-Luc Picard. Jesus Christ. What you said about Stuart Baird as well. I remember LeVar Burton came out and he said it. He just said that, like, he, he said that basically this guy didn't come near us. He didn't talk to us. He didn't ask us about our characters. He didn't ask us about the series. He basically just didn't give a damn. Like, and you're kind of there going, like, this was basically kind of send off to well obviously not now the uh the next generation crew and it's just it's it's christ on my like what i was i was trying to watch it and i was just there going i just want this movie to end as quickly as possible because there are certain parts to it that i was kind of there oh yeah like it's not too bad there's certain things i i liked about it but like they're completely drowned out by yeah. the darkness to it, the like the like the whole mind rape scene and all this kind of thing, you're going, Jesus Christ, this is awful. Well, that in particular, that should never. I mean, I want to phrase this right to to make sure you get what I mean. Mm. The idea of including sexual assault in a story, I don't, I don't feel that, you know, we shouldn't do that. I feel there has to be a reason. Mm characters need to grow and learn and be affected by it cannot be done just for shock value it was done just for shock value here and trying to slap on that oh well now i can find him with my you can set up telekinesis without in doing another that. way like yeah. yeah that was that was done it was exploitative it was incredibly uncomfortable and also not that he was really being set up with any kind of sympathy but there is no coming back from that at any point so from that point on Shinzon had to die and it didn't matter what he said it didn't matter what the exchanges was he was an absolute out and out villain Mm -hmm. and the film could only end with his death there's no I think they even try and do you know can you see can you come back to the light I can be a mirror for you none of that matters after that scene no, it was all, it was, it was really all gone at that point. Um, from a point of view of, as you said, trying to make the bad guy even remotely kind of like, oh, we understand what's going on. Um, B4, what did you think? Pointless. Make it lore. Uh, what was the point of it? Uh, like, I mean, if you're going to, ha- if, if you're going to have two androids and you have one who's been set up and who's a dodgy one anyway, this, I wonder, because, I wonder, is it, no, I was going to say, did this start the idea of everyone Brent Spiner plays apart from Data is a bad guy? Um, well, like we've discussed like in our next gen rewatch, like there's no luck with Data and his family ever. They're yeah, all yeah. bad people. Like he's right. the only decent person in his family. Even his mother wasn't a nice person. Like To, to, quote, um, to quote the Simpsons for a second, he is the flower that grew out of a pot of dirt. You know, <laughs> uh, because he has no emotions. So he learned how to be human first. Um, this be, and it was a bit like, oh yeah, 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 it's handy. They found that prototype, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh come on. Um, I just thought it was so shoehorned in that, you know, is there a prototype of data? Sure. Why, why was the prototype not in the lab, but Laura was? It's just, it's just 
Although, funnily enough, though, even though I, you know, I, I there's so much about the I can't stand, I do like the scene where they find the signal. I do think that's nice. I like, I like the music because it's kind of, um, it's kind of like a, ooh, what's it, mystery. But again, like I'm talking about, that's like a 30 seconds thing in a whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, just as I mentioned the music, I hate music by and large in this movie. I don't like the team. I think it's just, it's, I'm just not a fan of the teams at all. One or two bits of music I like, but overall, no. That's, that's interesting. I, I, I would say I do like the soundtrack again, definitely not as much as First Contact and Insurrection. Right. So it is, it's still, it's still Jerry Goldsmith. Mm. Um, I do like the theme because I, I, I just thought it was cool. To be honest, it, it kind of hit me at the right moment. Yeah. And there's a couple of, um, there's a couple of moments that stand out. Um, where Picard says, "Like a thousand other commanders on a thousand other battlefields, I wait for the dawn." That that I like that, and that whole musical scene is good. And I think, I I, I have it in my head that it's around the time Data jumps out of the Enterprise. There is a supremely cool musical score just yeah, around there. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. I like as well the music when they take the Scorpion shuttle out of the of the scimitar and they break through the glass and the Enterprise is kind of waiting for. I I think that's I like that music. I like those set piece. I thought that was quite good. Again, right, perfect example of good comedy, right? And it's Star Trek's good comedy is that when they get into the Scorpion, Picard's in the driving seat, Data's behind them. And Picard does whatever, and then you know, does make makes a mistake. And Data says, Would you like me to drive, sir? And then Picard just kind of slowly kind of looks back as if say, like, fuck off, I'm doing it. And like, <laughs> but again, I'm kind of there going, that's wonderfully subtle, which doesn't mm. exist anymore. It's all like it's all beat you over the head with the obviousness of it. Like the insurrection had loads of it. And this, like, I love that little subtle bit of humor because that's what works for kind of Star Trek and things like that. This you said as well about insurrections for the purists. And I feel the same with this. When you watch this, you can't have, like, it's not a movie you can come into cold. No. Like, this is not a movie for non-Star Trek fans. You cannot get, like, you'd have to have an idea of the Romulans. You have to have an idea who the Enterprise crew is and things like that. You can't just walk into this, like, and that is, again, a major problem for it. Like I said to you before, this was, when I went to see this, this was the first Star Trek movie um, that in the cinema here in Limerick, that wasn't in screen one. Like it was, it was, it was like screen eight or something. It premiered in screen eight. I remember walking in going, what? Not, not screen one. And I said, oh my God. At this point, like the arse had fallen out of a completely like, when we had grown up, you and me, like, because, you know, the next generation was absolutely massive in Ireland. Star Trek was everywhere. It was absolutely everywhere. But by this point, it was slowly but surely disappearing and it was yeah. going like and it was like nobody cared that this movie was coming out. It just it just it was an absolute sense of the steam is gone. No one cares. Enterprise was on and like no disrespect to Enterprise. I knew it would be cancelled because I was just there going. It's just it's been on for too long and everyone just needs a break from it. And, then, you know, it won't be it won't make it. And when this film came out, I was there going, it's going to bomb and it's going to bomb badly. The trailer wasn't too bad. But when I watched the movie, I was there going, oh, God, this is not how we end it. And do you know what? Actually, funny enough, funny that you mentioned the trailer. I do remember the trailer being very good. I thought like, oh, yeah, I'm, mm. I'm hyped for this film. Uh, my good friend, Darren, uh, we went to the cinema in Tala and it was by no means full. Um, and like, yeah, I remember kind of like, you know, kind of what was I? 14 at the time. Uh, just pushing 50 because Christmas 2002. So just pushing 15. And I was kind of like, 
okay. I've seen that now. Um, and I don't, one thing now, so it, it is inevitable that when we're talking about this film, we will talk about the things that are wrong with it because there's just so many bloody things wrong with it. The things yeah. I like, um, a couple of things I like were left on the cutting room floor. Uh, so we'll get to those in a second. I really like Janeway's cameo. I have to say, it's, it's never a good thing about a film when a char- character from another series cameos and that's one of your high points yeah that's kind of yeah i like again i just kind of uh, again it's it just for me it's it, if you're a, if you're a non-star defend you come in you kind of hear a lot of stuff she's saying you're going what the hell is she actually on about so mm-hmm. going, yeah that's just it's a cameo for the star defense and that's fair enough and i totally get it that's and exactly it's it's purely for that uh, confirming that, you know, Rear Admiral Janeway, so that's obviously been picked up in other uh, parts of the franchise along the way. Um, I like uh, Whoopi Goldberg's cameo. Now, something that was left on the cutting room floor that I'm very glad was left on the cutting room floor was Wesley's speaking scene. So he is there. He's at the, the wedding right. table. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a speaking scene where he's back in, you know, the Starfleet Corpus of Engineers, and he's about to go and flirt with someone. And Will Wheaton hated it. I didn't like it. Um, and it's just like, you know, kind of, we're just not going to mention the traveler then, are we? Um, it doesn't make sense. And now, depending on when this releases, even more doesn't make sense. So yeah. I'm very glad that scene was good. Having him there, sure, that's fine. I mean, it, totally understandable that you could, that he would, you know. But who are, like, the writers of this, like, yo, John Logan, like, how the hell can he write the scene about Wesley? And not like does he, did he not even just flip it and say hey what, what was the crack with your character oh he's off um, with the traveler he's basically intergalactic traveler yeah you're in the Starfleet Corps of Engineers now that's how it's gonna work that was it and I think I, as far as I know I'd have to uh, go and read it again as far as I know like Logan it, it's not that he wasn't a fan now Stuart Baird didn't sorry didn't care I do think Logan did but then things got mixed up in the wouldn't this be cool as opposed to the wouldn't this make sense. And it's hard across like, any properties to make things make sense. I mean, my supreme hats off to the people in the MCU who make it work because that is hard. Because yeah. you've got so many different writers, directors, everything. Uh, whereas I don't even know what film is this sequel to? Is it a sequel to Insurrection? Is it a sequel to First Contact? You know, where does this fall? Is it a standalone fight? Eh, what's going on? The... um. Like for me personally, I I detest the battle at the end. I can't stand it. From a point of view of it's it's kind of the feeling I kind of got from it is that more phasers, more torpedoes is more interesting. And it's for me, it's not like the whole you know the like obviously it's it's a rip on you know the Mutant Evelyn Wrath of Khan. What makes that really interesting is that every phaser shot, every photon torpedo is important, and it makes a bloody difference. Things aren't really kind of, you know, like in this when Enterprise is trying to find the scimitar and it's just firing left, right and center and all that. I'm just there going, this is, this is, this is totally boring. This is literally not even remotely interesting because you see the odd torpedo impact on the scimitar. You're there going, what, so what damage is being, is being done? You're going, and, and why is the scimitar just firing a torpedo, going for a coffee, coming back, firing a phaser, nipping off to play chess? Like, that battle should have lasted three seconds. Yeah, like the, yeah, the, the, the Enterprise was like completely outmatched. Like it was yeah. just, it was. Oh Jesus Christ! That was the like, thing. The, the thing, the Mutara Nebula, they were both blinded. 
Yeah. This is ducks in a barrel. You yeah. Know, kind of like this. This is anyway. So you're right. I like there were a couple of cool, like, yeah, I, I liked the dropping part of the cloak thing because I was doing that with my micro machines at the time. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I'm okay with that. But overall, yeah, I know there was. So initially the plan was it would be a fleet battle. I don't think that would have fixed it. Because oh, when it took me a long time. So I was, I have to say, now I was one of those people with the, you know, the, the, the specs with the sellotape in the middle sitting there going, that's not a warbird. Don't call that. Oh, that's not oh, that. Yeah. So it took me a long time to warm to that because it's actually a beautiful design. But of course, I was just so like, bring back mighty derelicts. Yeah, I don't like this at all. Um, I mean, you could have done the derelicts on screen. It looks very, very nice. But anyway, um, I was never crazy about the scimitar. Um, like, it's fine. Like, it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's I like think it's, that's a good description. It's, 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 it's not like it looks, it, it kind of looks like a king on bird of prey, like, doesn't it? Like, but the way the arm, the, the arms are down, all this kind of thing, it's just, again, it's just, like, it's a, it's, it's a kind of a, it's a fine design in a movie that I think people are just going, like, it's fine. Like, it's, we're not going to push ourselves. Like, even the scene of, like, you know, leading up to the battle, they try to do the, you know, the Wrath of Khan scene of kind of getting the cannons ready and all that. And it's, it's fine. Like, it's, it's not interesting. It's, you know, kind of, there's no sense of time in it at all, because like in, you know, the Wrath of Khan, it's basically, the Enterprise is basically limping to the, to the nebula to try and save its own ass. And like, there's a ticking clock, because it, it, when Reliant, the second Reliant comes around and sees this, the Enterprise is in trouble. Like in this, you know, even the battle's going to happen, and it's just like people pressing buttons, and oh, it's just fucking terror. I just... Oh God! When I was watching, I was actually getting angry and angrier watching it. Like, and like jumping forward a bit, like the fight scene between Riker and the Viceroy, and you're, you're going, "What?" And like the whole battle takes place on a corridor, like the first one, and then Worf saying to Riker, "The Romulans fought with honor." And Riker says, "Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's 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 great." Yeah, I like the line. I just don't like where it falls. Yeah, you know that's I mean? fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like maybe during the toast scene, something something like that, you know, kind of like, but not right in the middle of it. But also, I mean, this is a one. Just just watch the films that came before. They stuck an extra deck on the Enterprise E. Suddenly, it's got twenty nine decks because uh, that's all happening on deck twenty nine. But deck twenty nine is apparently the size of a cathedral because of the way the Viceroy falls. Talk about wasting Ron Perlman in a role. Um, Tom Hardy does his best. He, does. he is not yeah. the problem. The script is the problem. He does his best. And I feel, I always feel that this is like, obviously I, I don't personally know the man, but I do want to say that this film caused him a lot of pain um, because like any aspiring actor, he put his heart and soul into this. And when it was perceived that this film had killed the franchise, he spiraled into a depression, into a substance addiction or a kind of a relapse of substance addiction. Uh, he ended up in rehab and I did very well in rehab and came back out of it again, the other side. But I, so I, I always, I think in, in years that have gone by, people have been very fair in how they've you know, kind of gone. There's, there's, there's a couple of names who that's who you assign sort of the blame to. 
I mean, Stuart yeah, Baird it, it was would be ne- one of them. Like, one of the things we often say on this is, like, we might, like, by and large, like, our podcast is about positivity. We talk yeah. about things we like and all that kind of thing. And we pick the episodes we like. When we're talking about the movies, we're, can, we can't do it. We have to talk about what's actually there, right? And one of the things that we do, even when we talk about things we don't like, we never, ever go after the actors because the actors are never the problem like. It's always the writing and the directing. The actors do their bloody jobs. Like in the same in this situation, Tom Hardy does his job and he does it really well. It's just the directing and the uh, and the acting thing like that. On Tom Hardy as well. Again, this is just how little they give a shit, and it's 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 how they really kind of feel that us as audience people people are you know idiots. When Picard pulls out the picture of him as a cadet, yeah, I knew and it's the a story. bald head, yeah. and you're going, lads, he didn't have a bald head. He didn't. put a wig on him. Yeah, just show. Yeah. No, yeah. you can't, Sean, because that means then people in the audience are going to go, wait a second, Picard is bald currently. He has to be bald all his life. If we see a picture of him with hair, that's not Picard. Well, there it is then. You're you're so right. I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that is the crack, though. That is the crack. Like, yeah. Let's just jump forward to an extremely horrendous death scene when Picard impales Shinzon, and Shinzon decides to put himself through the spike. And, and also, like, kudos, Jean-Luc, who snaps metal? He just 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 pulls a metal girder off the wall. Yeah. Um. Like there, it's so many things. Like where you can look at the way things are done and be like, one extra second. Show. I mean, like, I I I I'm not a fan of films that overdo this. So you know, kind of, I I, I can hear people kind of going straight away. Oh well, don't treat the audience like idiots, which is fair. But the way that's presented, John Luke pulls a metal bar off the wall. And then Shinshon, Shin, Shinshon just walks into it. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's not even particularly, ru- and it's, he sounds, that's the kind of thing you run into and go, oh, that was sore. And you step around it and stab John Luke. You know, um, it's it's not the most epic of death scenes. I will oh, say that. Oh, Jeepers. I was, the other thing is, as I mentioned the scene where they steal the scorpion ship and they get out. I like it. But like leading up to that, when they're walking through the corridors, all you can see is the matte painting at the end of a corridor and it's everywhere. And it's trying to make the ship this big cavernous thing. And they're going, lads, that's clearly a matte painting. And you're going, what in the name of God? And is this like, it's just, it's just, this is again, as I said, the amount of shots of the Scimitar Bridge and it's just these big wide angle shots and it looks so cheap. It, uh, uh, the original design, like they were talking about putting the warp core in the bridge until at least somebody went, that's nonsense, don't do that. Um, but I think what they did is not much better. It looks like it looks like almost a redress of some of the ops from DS9. I don't think it is, thankfully, but it's far too big, far too big. And also my Thaleron generator, brings all the voice of the art, you know, is right behind my head. That couldn't possibly go wrong. Jesus, yeah, um, Lord Almighty! And like, Joe, what do you just actually? Sorry no, to speak I, over you. What do you like about this film? We have to cover something. You have to. We. we I mean, I, don't worry. I'm trying to do it myself now. So, what do we like about the film? Jesus, like I'm, I'm actually like, even Riker's hair isn't right. Um, and like that's a, that's a, that's a, that, like that's a scurrilous allegation to say they can't even get hair right. Um, like I said, look. When I was watching this, right, I'm not going to lie to you, I was watching during my work day, so like, it was quiet. So I was kind of there going, what points do I really focus on, right? So I was there going, I like the scene where they discover the positron signal. I like it. I like there's a bit of mystery there. I like the way it kind of works. I like the Carol's line of, you have the bridge, Mr. Troy. 
I like that. I do like the music when the shuttle then leaves the Enterprise and goes onto the planet. Um, I like the stealing of the Scorpion ship and the Enterprise being on it back. I like then when they are in what's it in stellar cartography, which isn't obviously as cool as the, as generation stellar cartography. Yeah. And I think is it a, does it. Yeah, I, I like kind of databases explaining the difference between him and B4. I do like that. And I like then when you see um, the Enterprise flying on warp and then it kind of, you know, it shows it's the scimitar is right behind it and uh, Shinzan is watching the Enterprise from there. Like That was like, I did, Joe, I'm with you on that one. I did like that reveal because it's very sinister. Um, yes. And you're, yeah. and you, you're, you're not aware. You're actually not thinking, because you think that if they catch up with them, they attack them straight away and they're not and they're just waiting. But that's but that's it, Sean. Like everything else is just there's nothing like like what do you have on your list? Like um a lot of the same. I do yeah. like Dina Meyer as Donatra. Um I kind of like the opening. I do like the opening pan into Vol uh Vulcan Romulus Romulus. Um I'm not crazy about the it's a good reveal, but I'm not crazy about kind of assassinating the Senate like that. Um Love Janeway's cameo. Um, I don't love the inclusion of Blue Skies, but I like the legacy of the inclusion of Blue Skies. Because even by the end of this film, I like how you get the opening notes of Blue Skies as it goes into the closing credits and then how they brought it back for Picard. So I do like that as a connector. Um, I like... Uh, I do like Picard standing in the Senate. Yes, that is one. Sorry, yes, I remember that, and uh, that is actually pretty cool because it's, it's it, at least it's something Star Trek in our Star Trek movie. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was good. That 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 was good. I liked that. Um, I thought because there's legacy in that. You know, I do. I do. But for what this was a. Generation's final adventure never felt like a final adventure. But if you could take one thing from that, the start of a new collaboration between the Romulans and the Federation, and then what do they do? They blew it up. You maniacs. You blew up Romulus. The um, Anything else on the positive list? Uh, one from the cutting room floor, um, Commander Maddox, or... Madden, sorry, the new first officer. That's actually very funny. I would have liked him to have left that in. And uh, Riker meets him and he goes, anything you can tell me about the captain? Well, look, he loves being called Jean-Luc. Uh, and then Madden walks on and he's like, you know, yes, Jean-Luc. And Picard stops and looks at him and he goes, Commander Riker was pulling my leg, wasn't he? And, you know, Picard walks away smiling. It's such a small scene. And I, I thought it was it was nice. But yeah, I would have loved to have them to leave it in. The um, the death of data and the immediate aftermath. What did you think? Um, sacrificing himself. Yes, absolutely. Um, I I get that. I the manner of it. Eh. Um, the reveal on the bridge. It's fine. Um. The, do you know what the one that actually got me hmm. when Riker couldn't remember the song? Um, the first time I met Data, he was whistling. And he says, I can't remember what song it was. I was sitting in the cinema going, it was Pop Goes the Weasel. 
I'm pretty sure I'm pretty certain when I was inside the cinema I heard someone say that as well the um like I kind of find that you know I found that like basically Picard arrives back on the smashed bridge the scimitar has been destroyed Data's dead and Picard just goes I'm off to my ready room bye and he just storms off and you're going what the hell man really and that scene then when they're having the champagne like look maybe it's just me and I'm just being nitpicking and I'm just being miserable about it but like the lighting in the scene is desperate it's too flipping bright and it looks like it's like it's like something from days of our lives like it just you're going come on guys get it together like this is the last feckin scene it's supposed to be emotional like and there was just no sense of kind of ah this is awful he's dead I just at this point I think just when I was watching the movie I was just there going just end the flipping thing please like and like you, I know you liked it. I didn't like it. I didn't like the end scene where Picard just walks off and they start playing blues guys. Picard smiles. I just, I, at that point, I'm just there going, this is, this is not the way, this is not the way. I, I, I'm not smiling leaving this. And here's, <laughs> and here's Picard smiling. And I'm just there going, good God almighty. Look, the, I, I think the only thing is everyone has come out and panned it. All the actors have completely just kind of disowned yeah. it. Yeah, this is, no, yeah. this is. It was it was like when you compare it to how the original series ended, it's like you know finishing off their twenty five years in this remarkably brilliant movie, and then like our wonderful next generation ending after fifteen years and this horrible horrible collapse over the line. They're going, God Almighty, it deserved better than this. Like it did. Do you know what something I was just just while we were talking there, I had a quick Google. This film doesn't feel as old as the first Tobey Maguire Spider Man film, but they came out the same year. It is, yeah. 20 years ago today, was it? I think Spider-Man came out. Yeah. God. Actually, I didn't realize it was today. God. Um, well, it was like, you know, yourself, Twitter was basically but, yeah. for that two or three days. It was today. No, it was today. It was also today. Uh, uh, it's, it's not, a, you know, Enterprise was on, but um, that it didn't have an awful lot le- left. Star Trek was, Star Trek was heading into a lull to be brought back in perhaps our next episode? I have no idea what the schedule is. <laughs> but yeah, look, look it, to be honest with you, it needed to stop. Like, it was just, like, we'd all loved it, but like, as I, as we said a few minutes ago, it had, it had just basically, it had, it had annihilated the opposition for so long. And then basically, as what happens in everything, basically, a new kind of, you know, way came about and basically Star Trek started coming across as the old person that needed to be kind of you know pushed to the side and replaced by the new younger version of different shows and different things and all that and that's what it had and we'll discuss that again you know next week and all that sean we're going to rank the movies we're going to rank these four movies and i'm going to let you rank your four movies in the order you pick okay so i'll actually i'm going to go one to last um yeah. so first first contact uh second generations third insurrection fourth um, do I have to say it? I don't know. Fourth Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier. No, and then Nemesis Last. Yeah. Um, I'm slightly different. I'm Generations First Contact, uh, Insurrection, and Nemesis. I think. Look, we've discussed Generations is an incredible nostalgia movie, really. Yeah. Like, and it's just kind of as I said, you know, for me, I've just I I don't love First Contact as much as I did. Um, when I watch them back, I prefer Generations. Look, please don't kill me for that. <laughs> I'm aware it's got its faults. Like, it's got loads of them, but I still bloody well love it. Um, 
All right, John, I think that is our discussion on The Next Generation Films Over and Done It. And if you haven't checked it out, please, actually, John, do when we release this episode, John, we'll t- give it a day and we'll tweet the picture of Riker's hilarious face. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, that's yeah. what we'll do. Yes, yes. Guys, thank you so much. Next week, we should be back with the Kelvin movies. And until then, I've been your host, Sean Hurley. And I have been your host, Sean Ferrick. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye.